Lord, uh, help us not to be distracted. Help us not to waste time, but that, Lord, we would know that we've heard from you. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 26. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, or if you just uh, remember the context of the book of Acts, Paul has been in prison now for over two years. And he hasn't had, uh, he's had many trials, but he hasn't had a fair trial. And he hasn't even been properly charged yet. Uh, Can you imagine being in prison for two years? And and after two years of being in prison, uh, you don't even know what you're being accused of. And that's what Paul is living in. And if you remember, he was on trial of the council of the Jews. He was on trial before Felix. He was on trial before Festus. And now, uh, and and then he finally appealed unto Caesar because he saw this isn't going anywhere and and they were going to put him in a situation where he was going to be hurt and killed. And he said, I'm just going to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome and maybe I can get a fair trial there. But before they send him to Rome, they put him on trial now before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa is going to... Try him, and what they're, and the only reason that they're bringing him on trial before King Agrippa is just so they can try to figure out what they're going to charge him for. Uh, I mean, that seems backwards, doesn't it? He's on trial to try to figure out why he's on trial, so that they can send him to Augustus in Rome and have him uh, stand before uh, before Caesar. And I want you to look back at Acts 25 and verse number 13. And I want you to see that uh, King Agrippa and Bernice came to visit Festus. In Acts 25, 13 it says, And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. Now here's what you got to understand. I don't want to go too much detail into this. But at this time, Rome controls the world and controls this region of Israel. And the way it would work is Rome would, would take over a country or take over a, a, a place, but they wouldn't necessarily get rid of the government. They would keep the kings and the different royalties of that time. They would just, uh, the governors and the rulers of Rome superseded those rulers, okay? And those rulers and those nations would have to pay taxes to Rome. So King Agrippa is not a Roman. And even though he's a king, and Festus is just a governor, Festus actually, military terminology, outranks King Agrippa. Uh, King Agrippa almost works for Festus, but Festus' title is that he's the governor of that Roman section there, and King Agrippa is actually a king in that realm there. So King Agrippa, if you remember we uh, learned last week, that Festus just recently took over for Felix, and then King Agrippa and Bernice are coming to visit and to get to know the new uh, boss, you know, and that's what's going on there. If you look at verse 14, uh, Festus says to Agrippa about whom, well actually let's, let's read uh, verse 13 again, it says, And after certain days King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus, and when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto them, uh, unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix. So, uh, Agrippa comes to visit Festus, and Festus begins to talk to Agrippa about Paul, and he gives him the rundown, the history of Paul there. If you skip down to verse number 25, pretty much Festus says to Agrippa, uh, or Agrippa says, I want to hear Paul myself, and Festus says, Great, we're going to listen, you're going to listen to him, and in verse 25 it says, But when I found, this is Festus talking to Agrippa, he says, But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, because remember, Paul stood before Festus and trial 
And Festus said, I found that he committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed unto Augustus. I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had I, uh, had, I might have somewhat to write, for it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. And yeah, that does seem unreasonable to have a prisoner and not uh, you know, have know what crimes you're going to lay against him. But th- this is where we're at in Acts chapter number 26. And I'd like you to look, look at verse number 1 of chapter 26. It says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul, so this is the beginning of the trial here, then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. And I want you to notice verse 2, he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because, so he's going to tell us why he's happy. He says, because I shall answer for myself this day, before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Especially because, verse 3, I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So now we're getting to understand why it is that Festus is asking Agrippa for help, because Festus is saying, look, I don't really understand what they're charging him for. Something about, you know, remember he said, the Jews said some guy's dead, and Paul says he's alive. I don't really understand what the problem is. But King Agrippa, he's from that region there, because he's the king of that, he would have been the king of that region. If, uh, if Festus wasn't there. So he understands the customs. He understands the questions. So they're bringing him before Paul. And Paul says, hey, I'm glad I get to talk to King Agrippa because he's going to understand what's going on here. And that's really where we're uh, beginning there. And I'd like you to see, I got three points tonight out of this passage. And I'd like you to see what Paul says to King Agrippa. Point number one, Paul speaks about his past. We see Paul's past. Look at verse number four. Paul says, my manner of life, talking about his past, from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. He says, look, the way I live my life, all the Jews, they know how I live my life. Verse 5. Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He's saying, look, these people, they know my history. They know that I was a Pharisee. I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was part of the straightest sect, the hardest sect. He said, I was right in that religion of being a Pharisee. And he's like, they know my past. Now, it's interesting in verse 8. I'm sorry. uh, In verse 6, it says, And now... I stand and am judged of the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. So I want you to see, Paul's talking about his past. The first thing he says, he says this, I was a Pharisee. He says, not only was I a Pharisee, I was of the straightest sect of the Pharisees. But number two, he says, I was wrong. Because in verse number uh, six, he says, And now I stand and am judged of the hope of the promise of, made of God unto our fathers. Look at verse 7. Unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope say, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So I want you to understand what he's saying. He's saying, look, I was just like these guys. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Of the straightest sect. That was my religion. And they know it. But today, I'm being judged. And he said, but here's the thing that you got to say, King Agrippa. I'm getting judged today for what our forefathers believed and preached long ago. And I want you to understand this because, you know, oftentimes people ask me questions about, what do you think about the Jews today? And here's what you got to understand. In the day of Jesus Christ, and in the day of Paul, the Jews of that day did not have the same religion that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David had in the Old Testament. 
because, uh, you know, they came from Abraham and Isaac. No, sir. Jesus Christ said, if Abraham was alive today, he would believe on me. That's what Jesus said. So the Bible in the book of Revelation calls the Judaism of today, calls it the synagogue of Satan. The Bible says that not all who are, are, are Israel, who are of Israel in the book of Romans. Let me tell you something. Today people have this idea. Oh, you know, we gotta, we got to bless the Jews. Look, the Jewish religion today is a false religion like every other religion. You say, well, how can you say that? I don't understand how Christians don't understand this. The religion of, of Judaism today rejects Jesus Christ as Savior. Do you understand that? They reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but we as Christians are supposed to say, oh, well, we're the same. No, we're not the same. The Bible says that if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. And the Bible, and Jesus said, if you believe the prophets, and if you believe Moses, you believe on me. And right here we find Paul saying, hey, I was a Pharisee, but I was wrong, because today I believe the same thing the forefathers believed, and I'm on trial for it. And, the, and you say, well, what would, what would Abraham, if Abraham was alive today, would he be a Jew? No, he'd be a Baptist. I'm being serious. People, I say that sometimes people kind of chuckle like, oh, you think, what would Moses be today if he was alive? He'd be a Baptist. He'd be a Christian. He'd be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? That's what they believed in. Not this Judaistic, pharisaical, you know, work salvation of today. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I was a Pharisee, but he said, I was wrong. Look at verse 8. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? And I think that's an interesting verse. He says, look, you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? You believe that God created us? You believe that God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him? And you don't believe that God can resurrect a man from the dead? Says, What's wrong with you? He says, well, you know, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Look at verse 9. He says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now he's talking about his past, remember. He says, look, I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 10. Which thing I also did. He said, not only did I think to do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I actually did things contrary to the things of Jesus. He said, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison. So he said, I put saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against him. He said, when these people were put to death, my voice, I was a testimony against them to put them to death. He said, I put Christians in prison. He said, I put Christians to death. He said, and I punished them off, verse 11, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled, isn't this bad? He said, and compelled them to blaspheme. He said, I, I grabbed Christians, and, and I don't know what he did. Maybe he tortured them. Maybe he threatened them. But he said, you blaspheme in the name of Jesus. He said, I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul's talking about his past. Now in verse 10 he says, whereupon as I went to Damascus. And he says, he's getting to the place where everything changed. But I want you to notice something. Because throughout the book of Acts, we've now seen Paul use his testimony as a way to get the gospel out. Many times. And I want you to notice something that's very interesting to me about the Apostle Paul. You know, most Christians today use their past as an excuse to not serve God. But Paul didn't do that. 
Notice Paul didn't say, I can't serve God because I killed Christians. I can't serve God because I uh, put people in prison. I can't serve God because I was very... See, today people want to use their past as an excuse. And Paul said, I'm going to use my past as an example. He said, I'm going to use my past as, a, as, a, as an example. I'm going to use that as a, hey, this is who I was. And now let me tell you what God's done for us. Let me tell you something. You may be here today and maybe you struggle with this. And, and the thing is, everyone struggles with this. I, this is the conversation I have more with people as a pastor than any other conversation. People telling me about their past and I did this and I did that. And if you knew me and if you knew what. Look, let me tell you something. Don't use your past as an excuse. Use it as an example to be able to say, hey, let me tell you what God did. That's what Paul did. He didn't sit at home and say, well, I can't preach the gospel, and I can't do anything for God, and I can't live for God. Look what I've done. No. That's just an excuse. He said, I'm going to take that past, and I'm going to use it as an example. Look at verse 12. He says, whereupon. He said, he, he, he used the, the past as an example to get to this point. He said, but let me tell you what God did. He said, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king... I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This has to be a very interesting moment for Paul, for Saul, Saul at this time. You say, what happened? Pretty much this is what happened. Jesus got in his way. <laughs> Paul was traveling down a road of life, doing what he wanted to do, doing what he thought was right, and Jesus got right in his way and said, Stop. <laughs> threw him off the horse, threw everyone up, blinded him. And he, keep in mind, Paul wasn't living a real bad life. I mean, he was living a bad life, but he was justifying it in a false religion. In his mind, he was serving God. And here he has God say, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul recognizes this person as the Lord. And, and look at verse 15. He said, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? Notice he identifies that this is God. This is the Lord. This is the Master. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And this had to be a very piercing moment for Paul. When he heard the voice come out of the light, saying, and look what it says. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now look. At that moment, I'm sure Paul's heart just stopped. Because Jesus is who he's been persecuted. Jesus is who he's been. I mean, he's been fighting the followers of Jesus and throwing them in prison. He's been following, fighting the followers of Jesus and testifying against them so they can be put to death. He's been following, fighting the followers of Jesus and fighting against them. The Bible says he was wrecking the havoc of the church. He was destroying these people. And then the Lord appears to him and he says, Why are you persecuting me, Saul? That I'm Jesus. But I love this, verse 16. I love the first word of verse 16. He said, this is Jesus speaking. He said, but. He said, what, what do you like that word so much about? What do you like so much about that word? Here's what I like about that word. We've been, we've been reading about Paul's past, right? All the bad that he did. Now, he's not using it as an excuse. He's using it as an example. But then Jesus says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the brick. And, and, and uh, Saul said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And at that moment, Paul, you know, Saul's heart probably sank. And he thought, wow, I have been wrong. And he probably thought, useless. I will never be used to 
totally doing the wrong thing and doing the Satan's work. And then the next thing he hears Jesus Christ's voice, he says this, but... You know what that means? He says, I'm not done with you, Saul. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet. Why? For I have appeared unto thee for this... What's the next word? Purpose. Do you see that? We said number one, we talked about Paul's past. Number two, we talked about Paul's purpose. See, Jesus doesn't just throw you off a horse and get all in your face for nothing. He gets your attention because he has a purpose for your life. And he said, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. What's the purpose? To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of the things in the which I will appear unto thee. See, Jesus said, here's your purpose, Paul. I'm going to make you a minister and I'm going to make you a witness. And here's the important thing you understand. The same purpose that Jesus Christ had for Paul is the same purpose that Jesus Christ has for you. That's it. To be a witness. To be a minister. Look at verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Look at verse 18. This is a powerful verse in the Bible. Verse 18. He says, here's your purpose, Paul, and by the way, every Christian who's ever lived, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You say, Pastor, what is my purpose in life? To open their eyes? To turn them from darkness to light? From the power of Satan and God? That they may receive forgiveness of sins? That's what we're on earth for. Do you understand that? I don't know how else I can say it. I don't know how else I can preach it. I don't know how many lessons I can teach on it. I don't know how many illustrations I can get. I don't know how many passages from the Bible I can give it to you. But listen to me. Your purpose in life is to get people saved. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. If that wasn't your purpose, and let me ask you this. Why didn't God just take you to heaven the moment you got saved? Amen. When you got saved and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why didn't God just kill you right then and take you straight to heaven? Well, He left me here because... No, He left you here because He wants you to do the same thing that some soul winner came to you and gave you the gospel and said, now you go give it to somebody. Now you go spread that word and you don't be selfish with that gospel. You know, uh, the Bible says that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We see Paul's purpose. Paul had a purpose. You have a purpose. The Bible says... Jesus Christ told all of us, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our purpose. Jesus Christ said to all of us, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And by the way, the uttermost parts of the earth, that includes Sacramento County. I don't know if you know that. The uttermost parts of the earth, that includes California. I don't know if you know that. Maybe you're a little shaky on that. But I'm pretty sure that California and Sacramento and the United States of America is encompassed by this, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our job. That's what we're here for. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. You say, well, why, well, why aren't we doing it? Well, most of us don't have the same attitude as Paul. I want you to look at verse 19. Very interesting statement that Paul makes. He says, whereupon, O King Agrippa... Because he just told them about his past, and he told them about Jesus appearing to him, and his purpose. And then he says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, don't miss this, beautiful. He says, 
I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Did you just cat? Did you get that? Paul said, Jesus told me to preach and I wasn't disobedient. I didn't disobey. I went and I did what He told me to do. And today, the average Christian is disobedient. Period. Well, you, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm, I'm just shy. No, you're disobedient. Well, I, I, have, I, have the, I don't have the gift of... No, you're disobedient. Period. I don't know how else to say it, but Paul said, I was not disobedient. Unto the heavenly vision. Look at verse 20. But showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. Now let me just take a minute. I don't want to spend too much time here. I honestly don't. But I'm, I, I have to because it's there. But let me take a minute to explain this verse to you. Because oftentimes people will take verse 20. And they'll say, see, the Bible says you've got to repent of your sins to be saved. Well, number one, show me in that verse where it says you've got to repent of your sins to be saved. Number one. Can you show me that? In fact, show me anywhere in the Bible where it says the phrase, repent of your sins. I promise you, you will never find it. Because you know what? It doesn't exist. The Bible never tells us to repent of our sins. What the Bible says there, if you look at it, look at verse 20 again, it says, But showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, look what he said, that they should repent. Now, the Bible is its own dictionary. It defines itself for us. It says that they should repent, and, what's the next word? Turn. Turn to who? To God. The word repent means to turn. Do a word study of the word repent. I don't have the time to do it. I literally preached an entire sermon on the subject of repentance. And, and, I, and I looked at every time the Bible used the word repent, repentance, repenting, or, uh, you know, any of that uh, terminology there. And the word repent in the Bible means to turn. That's what it means. And, and he told them, he said, I want you to repent. And he said, let me make it real clear, to turn to God. He said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to God. Go real quickly with me uh, to Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21. Now, we've got to hurry up, alright? Matthew chapter number 21. Is everybody comfortable? Is anybody warm? Is anybody warm? Anybody cold? Does anybody, does everybody understand the question? I'm asking. Okay, Rebecca, are you warm? You're cold? You don't understand. Alright. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Look at verse number 32. Matthew 21. Look at verse number 32. Matthew 21, 32, the Bible says, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He said, For John, and he's preaching to the Pharisees. He said, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye, what's the next word? Believe. You see that? And ye believed him not. So what did the Pharisees not do? They didn't believe him. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. So who did believe him? The publicans and the harlots. So who are the publicans and the harlots? We call those... Uh, I don't know, lower class today. You know, the ghetto people, I guess. I don't know. But he said, the harlots and the public. He said, he said to the Pharisees, you didn't believe them. But the publicans and the harlots believed them. And he says, and ye, this is Jesus speaking, and ye, when ye had seen it, what, what did they see? That the harlots and the publicans believed it. He said, when you saw them believe, and ye, when ye had seen it, look what it says, repented not afterward, so they didn't repent, and then look what he says, comma, he's going to explain to us, 
what that means. He said, you didn't repent that ye might believe Him. Do you see that? So when he says, you did not repent, he says, you didn't repent that, saying, so that you wouldn't believe. He said, if you would have repented, you would have believed. But because you didn't repent, you didn't believe. Now the publicans and the harlots, they repented, and when you saw it, you should have repented and believed. That's what Jesus said. Go to Mark chapter number 1, look at verse 15. Mark chapter number 1, look at verse 15. Mark, you say, eh, I don't really understand that. Well, look at Mark 1.15. Maybe it'll be a little more clear. Mark 1.15. Mark 1.15, the Bible says, And saying, Mark is right after the book of Matthew. Mark chapter number 1, verse 15. It says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Look what he said. This is uh, John the Baptist. Repent ye. So he, said, he told them, Repent. And people said, Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. No, look what it says. Repent ye, comma, and believe the gospel. So when you repent, what are you doing? You're believing. See, here's what you're going to The Bible says the word repent is to turn. Okay? You turn to God. Here's what you got to understand. Go with, oh, let's, go with me to Hebrews chapter number 6. Uh, and let's, let's talk about this. Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament, chapter number 6. The word repent means to turn. Okay? When you got saved, you have to repent... Of whatever you're believing in, and put your belief or your faith on God. Does that make sense? Now today, the Christianity of today will say, repent of your sins. They'll say, you got to turn from your sins, repent of your sins, and believe on God. But look, that doesn't make any sense. Because you repent from what you were believing in. So here, let me give you an example. Somebody says, I'm, I, I believe in Islam. I believe in Allah. That is my God who I believe in. Well, if they can't believe in Allah and believe in Jesus Christ. you understand that? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You can't have it both ways. So if a Muslim is going to believe on Jesus, he has to repent or turn from his Islamic belief. Okay? Not his sin, but his belief, his false belief, and get saved. Does that make sense? My wife, when I met her, she was an atheist. And when she got saved, she repented from what she believed. She believed in atheism. And she turned from that unbelief and turned to faith in Jesus Christ. You don't turn from sin. Let me ask you something. Go so many with me. You, I have never had somebody say to me, I'm trusting in my sin to get me to heaven when I die. Never had anybody say it. No one's trusting in their sins to save them. Do you understand that? So it's useless to turn from your sin, okay, but people were trusting in their Catholic baptism to save them. Well, yeah, you got to turn from that to Jesus Christ. People were trusting in a, a false religion to save Well, yeah, you got to turn from that to false religion. People were trusting in their works to save them. People, we go out so many every week. Brother Vincent goes, listen, when I'm in people's words, why is it you know if you're dead, then you go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm on my way to heaven. How do you know that? Well, I teach a Sunday school class, and I was baptized five years ago, and I uh, give money to the church, and I'm a pretty good person, and I'm, uh, I'm a lot better than my neighbor next door. I'll tell you that. What are they trusting in? Their works. Look at Hebrews 6. Look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter number 6. Look at verse 1. They're not trusting in Jesus. They're trusting in themselves. Hebrews 6, 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from sin. Is that what it says? What does it say? Repentance from dead works. Because that's what people were trusting in. They were trusting in their works. And by the way, your works, if you're trusting them, they're dead. They're not going to do anything for you. So you've got to repent from your works, 
And look what it says, repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Do you see how the Bible is so consistent? If you'll read it, if you'll study it. But today people, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. No, no, no. It's not repent of your sins. It's repent of your unbelief and believe on God. If you say, I don't believe in God, you got to repent of that and believe on God. You can't believe in God and not believe in God. Do you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? You can't believe in, in uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Hinduism and Jesus Christ. You're going to have to turn from one and believe on the other to be saved. That's what the Bible says. Go back, and that's all I'm willing to spend on that subject. So let's go back to Acts 26. Because I preach entire sermons on the subject of repentance, but I don't want to uh, leave you there. And then, and then look at the last part of verse chapter 20. Uh, it says that, that they should repent and turn to God and do w- works. Notice, turn to God, comma, and means we're on a new thought here. He said, repent and turn to God, that's salvation, and do works, meet, that word meet there means suitable. Do you remember when God told Adam, I'm going to make him a help meet? He was saying, I'm going to make him a, a help, a wife who's suitable. Because remember, Adam was uh, naming all the animals. And after he named all the animals, it says there wasn't a, a partner found suitable for Adam because he didn't want to marry a lion. He didn't want to marry a dog. He didn't want to marry... You know, so God said, I'm just going to have to make something that's suitable for him. And he made a woman. That's what the, that's what the word meet means. So, so he says... Uh, repent and turn to God, comma, and do works meet for repentance. You've got to do works suitable for repentance. Listen, when you come to Verity Baptist Church, do you hear me preach the gospel every week? But is that all I preach? I preach a whole lot of works, don't I? I, I preach from the Bible how you ought to dress, how you ought to talk, how you ought to live, what you ought to say, where you ought to go. I say all of that. Hey, I, I preach repentance to God, comma, and works meet for repentance. That's what Paul was preaching. He said, see, Paul didn't just walk into town and preach the gospel and then leave. He walked into town. He stayed in Ephesus, you know, for a year or so. He stayed in these places and he discipled these people. So he said, see, here's what we preach. Salvation is not by works, but after you get saved, we're like, man, you better do those works. Not to save you, but just because you love Jesus. But see, the false religions out there, the Catholic Church is doing, salvation is all by works, but do whatever you want. Get drunk and, you know, do whatever. And then just come to the little confessional booth and do your little 35 Hail Marys and drink a glass of water upside down and do 17 uh, jumping jacks and and you'll be good to go. That's not good. Salvation is not by works, but you ought to do good good works. That's what he's saying. So hopefully that makes sense to you. Let's move on. Verse 21. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other thing than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, he said, look, they're, they're fighting me. They're arguing with me because while I was preaching, he said, I'm not saying anything that Moses didn't say. I'm not saying anything that the prophets didn't say. What did they say? Verse 23. Look what he said. Because notice he says, um, the last part of verse 22, he says, things that, that those which the prophets and Moses did say, notice there's a colon there, so he's going to tell us, this is what the, Moses... And the prophet said, you say, what, are you talking, what is he talking about when he says Moses brought? He's talking about the writings of Moses and the prophet. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then all the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, you know, all those prophets. So this is what those prophets say, verse 23. That Christ should suffer, and that he should be first, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. He said, look, that's in the Bible, and it is there. You can find it. So he said, I'm just preaching what Moses preached. 
But they have a problem with it. Because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 24. And I, I want you to notice, we said number one, we saw Paul's past. We said number two, we saw Paul's purpose. Number three, I'd like you to see Paul's passion. Paul's passion. Verse 24, the Bible says, And as he thus spake. So Paul's in the middle of giving the gospel. He's in the middle of preaching the sermon to King Agrippa. And the Bible says in verse 24, And as he thus spake. So as he's saying these things, for as he thus spake for himself, Festus said, remember Festus is the governor? Festus said with a loud voice. So Festus just yells out in the middle of the trial. He says, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Say, so what does that mean? He's saying, this is what he's saying. Paul, you're crazy. You've been reading too much of that Bible. You are insane. And, you know, it's a common theme in the book of Acts, but I'll just say it again. That's normal. When you go home, after you got saved, and you go home, after you've been coming to Verity Baptist Church for a while, and, and you start, you know, reading the Bible, it's normal for people to say, you're insane. That's normal. That's what they did. They did it to Paul, and they're doing it today. They said, what, what has he said that's so crazy? He hasn't said anything that's crazy. He said, Jesus Christ appeared to me, and he, and he died on the cross, and He resurrected from the dead, and I believe it. That's what He said. And Festus was like, you're insane. Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much joy does make thee mad. The world is never going to understand you and I. And they're just like, you are crazy. You're insane. But I want you to notice Paul's response. Verse 25. And I want you to notice the passion in what he's saying. He's, the Bible says in verse 25, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And then he, he looks at the king, because he's talking to Festus, but then in verse 26, he says, For the king, talking about a king of Grippa, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. And then he, he says to King Agrippa, he directs him, he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. He's saying, look, I know you believe. I know that you... Look, I'm not insane. I know. He's a king of Europe, but do you believe this? See the passion there? You know, I don't... I got got ten minutes. Let's do it real quick. Uh, Go with me to Jude, chapter number one. You know why... You know why you're not a soul winner? And you know why we will never accomplish as much as the Apostle Paul does? It's because we don't have the same passion that Paul has. And the Bible says in Jude chapter number 1, and there's only one chapter in the book of Jude, by the way, but Jude, look at verse number 22. The Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You know, oftentimes people mock at us. They'll say, you're some sort of a religious zealot. You're going out knocking on strangers' doors, trying to preach the gospel, trying to get them saved. What's wrong with you? Are you mad? Have too much learning made me mad? <laughs> but notice, that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible says, and if some have... Notice the word compassion. You see, you see after, the word, after the letter C-O-M, what's the word? Passion. How can you have passion by having compassion? He says, and if some have compassion, how will you have compassion? Making a difference. And others, look what he says, save with fear. People say to us, you're just trying to scare people into heaven, tell them they're going to die and go to hell. And you're trying. Yeah, I'm trying to save them with fear. If, 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 if scaring them into the fact that they're going to spend eternity in, in hell will get them to the place where they believe on Jesus Christ, then pray. Because, by the way, 
everyone got saved because they didn't want to go to hell. You did not get saved because you loved Jesus. You got saved because you didn't want to go to hell. After you got saved, you learned how to love Jesus. But when you got saved, you got saved because you did not want to go to hell. The Bible says that if some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, look what it says, pulling them out of the fire. Does that sound confrontational? It sounds confrontational to me. Say, so how do we pull them out of the fire? Here's what you understand. The Bible says that, the Bible says in the book of John, that those who believe are condemned already. See, if you're not saved, the Bible says you're, you're as good as in hell right now. And the Bible says when we go out and we get somebody saved, we're literally pulling them out of the fire. How do we do that? Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. See, Paul had compassion on these people. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter number 9. Let's do it quickly. Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 36. Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse 36. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He said, But when he saw the multitudes, Jesus got a good look at the crowd. He saw the people, and he said when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. If you would get a real good look at this world today, if you get a real good look at the moms today, and the dads today, and the kids today, and the people walking down and up and down the streets today, and you'd realize that people are living their lives today with no direction, with no He said, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And look, because he saw their need, and he was moved with compassion. In verse 37, the Bible says, Then saith he unto his disciples. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You know what he's saying? This is a very sober moment for Jesus Christ. He looked at the multitude. And he saw them going through life. And he said, these people have no purpose. They have no plan. They're just wandering about as sheep having no shepherd. They're scattered about. He said, I feel bad for these people. I have compassion. And then he looks at his disciples. He says, we've got so much work to do, but we don't have enough workers. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Look at verse 38. And he says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This, this passage right here is probably my life verse when it comes to ministry. Because today, at Verity Baptist Church, this is how I feel. I, I, I go soul winning and I see the crowds and I see the multitudes and I see the people and I, and I, and I, and I, and I see, you know, the hearts breaking and I see, and I, and I, you know, I was telling my wife this recently. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the way of the transgressor is hard. And, you know, people don't understand this. They think they're going to live their little life and, and, and you, know, uh, you know, get on drugs and get on alcohol and get divorces and, and do whatever they want and fornicate and, and you know, sleep around and have all these kids. And they don't realize.
He says, Come all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And today the world, they're struggling with their sin and will say, I don't want that Christianity. It's too hard. Man, your life is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. But I, I look at these people and I think, God can help you. But here's what I think. I wish we had more help. You know what I wish we had? More soul winners. You know what I wish we had? More people who say, hey pastor, I'll go soul winning. I'll be consistent. I'll go share the gospel. I'll learn how to give the gospel. I'll go to soul winning 101. I'll learn their verses. I'll learn how to explain it. I'll get people saved. I'll bring people to church. I'll get them baptized. I'll help make a difference. But today, this is what I think. The harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. But here's what I'm praying. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his vineyard. See, here's what you got to understand about Paul. And go, go back to Acts 26. We're, we're done. Here's what I want you to understand about Paul. Paul has so much passion to be people saved. Do you understand that Paul's on trial right now? He's been in prison for over two years. And this is probably his last chance to be liberated. And instead of walking in calm and reserved and trying to say, Well, listen, Judge, um, um, I, I, I got on the work program here at prison and I helped plant all these uh, flowers here. And, and can I be let out on, 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 on good behavior? He walks in and he says, King Agrippa, you need to get saved. And he has so much passion for seeing souls saved that he was willing to put his own liberty at risk just to get to preach the gospel to one more person. See, the Bible says in the book of James that our life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And you and I, we get so wrapped up in this world, we get so wrapped up in our PG&E bill and our Comcast bill and our whatever bill, we get so wrapped up in how are we going to make the mortgage and how are we going to do this and how are we going to... Just realize that whatever struggle you're going through right now, it's going to last 70, maybe 80, maybe 90 years if you're lucky. But when you get to heaven, you're going to spend eternity with God forever. The song says, you know, uh, only what this life so soon shall pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And if you get a hold of that, and Paul, I believe Paul got a hold of that. Because he, is he worried about being in prison? He's worried about getting people saved. And he says, man, King Agrippa, will you get saved? Let's, let's finish this up just real quick. Look at verse uh, 28. Here's a, sad, here's a sad thing about soul winning, though. You've got to understand it. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He didn't, he didn't get saved. He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And when you go out so many, sometimes people won't get saved. Verse 29, look at Paul's passion though. He says, and Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but, all, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. You know what he said? He said, he said I would to God that you would be just like me. He said, I would to God that you and everyone here would be saved like I am, would be a soul winner like I am, would be sold out like I am. He said, except for these bonds. That's funny. He says, I don't wish you were in prison, but I just wish you were just like me. Look at verse 3. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor of Bernice, and they had sat with him. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. They, they think he's insane, but they said, He hasn't done anything worthy of death or of bonds. 
Verse 32, then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, I pray you'd help us as we look at Paul's past and Paul's purpose and Paul's passion in this passage here. That you'd help us to not hide behind our past, to not use our past as an excuse, but use it as an example. You'd help us to realize our purpose is to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they can have forgiveness of sins and that we would get that passion. Or maybe what we really need is just a little bit of compassion. Father, I pray you'd bless those who are here. Thank you for allowing them to be here at Bible study tonight. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right.